This, this is the dugout every Tuesday at one with Bump and Stacy. Inside access to the clubhouse from Shannon Dreyer on Seattle Sports, the home of the Mariners. You are listening to the dugout. It is all Mariners from one to two. Rick Riz going to join us at thirty after Shannon Dreyer, Mariners insider, joining us at forty-five. We've got a Yankees Mariners preview coming your way in fifteen. Before we get to any of it, we are happy to be joined. By Mariners Major League Field Coordinator Carson Vitale right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. And um, Carson, happy almost anniversary. Anniversary of? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I was uh, informed uh, that tomorrow marks the 13th anniversary of your debut as a player. You made your pro debut for the Spokane Indians on June 21st, 2010, and got to do it in your home country. Uh I mean, man, 10 years ago today, could you uh, take us back to maybe either that moment or, or just some of the best and most memorable moments early in your career? Well, first, thanks for bringing that up. I would have no, would have had no idea. Alex, um, let me know. <laughs> Shout out, Alex. <laughs> of course you would know. I know. Uh, it was great. I, know. I, remember, I remember playing in Nat Bailey, um, a, a place I'd been to a, a bunch of the kid, uh, a bunch of buddies and, and family in the stands. Um, our rookie ball team that year at Texas was unreal. I think we had like you know, 13 or 14 guys get the big leagues off that team. Uh, most notably, Jerks and Profar and Odor. Um, and we were really good. Um, I was not in that same category as those guys, but I had a great time. It was, it was a lot of fun debuting in, uh, in Vancouver. What's, um, what's the pressure like? I mean, I could imagine a debut. All right. Obviously, there's pressure there, but you're doing it at home in front of the fans. Uh, what type of pressure was that like? I mean, I think like with every game, there's a certain amount of pressure. I think your first professional game, it is, you know, that much more heightened uh, playing in Canada, even more so. Um, so it, I think once that first inning rolls on, like like most players, you know, the sense of relief kind of happens. The, the pressure falls off you and you just go play the game you played a million times before. But I think before every game, everybody, everybody has a, a certain sense of pressure. Have you ever had conversations with players who are making their debut? Um, do you like ever leave that for other guys? I mean, how involved do you get when it comes to just kind of big moments or even day-to-day stuff with, with individual players? Yeah, for sure. I think you know, when a guy gets called to big leagues, I think everybody tries to do their best right. to kind of calm the situation down in their own way. Everybody has a different relationship with which each player for some of the more established veterans on the team, you know, when a prospect gets called up, they have little to, little to no relationship with them. You know, so it's, you know, the, the players that do get called up, they definitely, we try to lean on the on the people that are in the clubhouse who have pre-existing relationships with him. Um, um, but really it's just everybody's going to try to do their best just to calm them down, understand that this is a very big day. It's a very special thing. They've worked their whole lives to get here, so they should embrace it. They kind of should feel the gravity of the moment. But, at the same time, they got a job to do. They got to go out and perform, and um, it's not a performance. Isn't really great when you're when you're feeling that pressure. So, I think everybody tries to do their their own part in their own way with whatever kind of relationship they have with the person. You know, I've been watching like old school movies with my kids. We watched uh, Rookie of the Year the other day. Uh, we watched another baseball movie. <clears throat> I forgot what it was, but. I imagine when guys get called up, it's kind of like the moment in the movie where they walk into the clubhouse and guys look like, all right, who's this? You know what I'm saying? Um, Who are the guys on the team that kind of break the ice to to make those dudes feel comfortable once they walk in the clubhouse? Let me ask you the question. Who do you think those guys are in the clubhouse? 
I would think Julio's one of those guys. I would think Tails one of those guys, and Gino. Absolutely. I mean, exa- you're exactly right. The guys with a big personality who are definitely a bit more lighthearted make it a lot easier. You know what I mean? Like, Gino's the first person they see, and he's got his shirt off, and he's yelling, and he's got the long <laughs> hair. Like, you know, it's, it, there's a, an immediate sense of calming with, with a lot of our players. So I think the people that you guys think are the guys who are, are doing that, they definitely are. Have you sometimes as a fan when you watch a game, you can sense a player's nerves, if only through the relief that he clearly has when he gets to first and he's high fiving Christopher and you know he's so excited and you can just see like, oh, I finally did it. But then other guys I watch and I'm like, he knows it's his debut, right? Like, I mean, Miller is one I think of, Bryce Miller, where I'm right. like, does he just like cool as a cucumber, seem to just like take it very easy, or, or did was he a little more nervous than maybe I think? No, Bryce doesn't change one bit. Nothing <laughs> so since the first weird. Spring training to, to today when I'm seeing the training room. Uh, he's some kind of like calm and even kill. I mean, maybe he's faking it. I mean, he's either a really good actor <laughs> or this is just who he is. You know what I mean? Like, to go out in front of the crowds he's pitched in front of and do what he's done and basically just be himself, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's it shows what kind of person he is and what kind of character he is and you know how he's raised, where he's from, like all those things. They all they all play into it. He's one of the best I've seen. There's no doubt. Yeah. When you look at um, some of the the similarities, I know everyone's different. It's hard to like lump guys together, but I would assume that there's a difference in the veterans of the league, the 28, 29, 30-plus-year-olds, and the guys who are coming in when it comes to just their approach to the game. What are some of those differences? And But also, what are some of the things that are true no matter who you are, where you're from, when you were born? Yeah, I think the, the things that are, are to, true to every player is the, the game is the same. you still got to get a good pitch to hit. you still got to throw the ball to the plate. you still got to like, catch the ball. you still got to throw the ball. All those things remain true. Like The game isn't different. I think... You know, with the more established players, they've they've gotten to a place in their career where, you know, there isn't the worry of being sent down or being, you know, the the like the the negative ramifications on their career based on performance, just because they've gone out there and done it. They've established themselves and they've established routine in their in their preparation to know what works for them and what doesn't at the big league level. With the younger players coming up, you know, there is that sense of pressure because they want to stay. It is different. You know, the big league it's the big leagues for a reason. So the maturation process it takes for young players to come up and find themselves what works in the big leagues, what doesn't work and to eliminate the negative thoughts of what could happen if performance isn't there. That's hard. That's real. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference, but you know, then you guys, then you have guys like Bryce Miller who've come up and really not had many hiccups for Brian Wu to do what he did after his first start and come out there, come out as past two and be really good shows you what kind of character he has. So um, I think our guys are showing that they, they absolutely belong, but it's the, the main difference between the established players and, and the and the up-and-coming players is just that sense of what it takes to belong. And I think our guys are finding that they're, they're footing really quickly. The Mariners are opening up uh, the first game in an East Coast road trip today against the Yankees, but they're thankfully coming off a series win against the White Sox. Kelnick and Julio uh, with two really timely hits uh, in that finale, and both of them talked to uh, the Seattle Times about kind of that mindset that Scott Service had encouraged. Carson, how are you seeing Scott's messaging to this team change? Yeah, I think the the game will tell you what, what it needs, and um, the game was telling us that we need to be in the in the middle of the field a little bit more. 
and our guys are buying in. Our bats have been really good over the past, I would say, two weeks. <clears throat> We've done a really good job against uh, opposing starting pitching. I mean, Lance Lynn did a really good job against us the other night, and he's an established pitcher, and he, he had it going the other night. But, you know, in the, in the big times, in the big moments, Kelnick and Julio came through, and oftentimes, sometimes, all it takes is a couple hits to win a game. Um, and I thought we've done a really good job as of late grinding out of bats and, and getting into the bullpen on Sunday. You know, we didn't do that, but we did get the big hits when we needed. And every game's a bit different. But the overall messaging of staying in the middle field, keeping it simple, um, just grinding out of bats and just being competitive has, has really taken a hold with our guys. And I think you're, kind of, you're seeing the, the fruits of that labor coming through, especially over the, over the homestand. Carson, what's the, the communication like amongst the coaches when it's when the messaging does change a little bit? Is it, okay, service goes out there, he relays the message to the team, and the coaches kind of find out then and fall in line? Or is there some type of meeting to where you guys assess where you are, service gives a message, and then you guys, as you know, his foot soldiers are out there saying the same things he's saying? Yeah. No one's ever said we communicate too much. You know, no one says that ever we communicate a lot in the front end. We have a lot of meetings on the front end to make sure that our messaging is clear. It's right. Um, and then we deliver to the players and we hold each other accountable to that same messaging. So whatever we, whenever we get in front of players where it's skip, whether it's our hitting coaches or pitch coaches, myself, um, there's a lot of effort on the front side to make sure that when we do deliver that message, we're united, it's clear, it's simple, and it's actionable. And <clears throat> I'm not sure the messaging has really changed a whole lot over the course of the year. We've just gotten, we've just, the game is telling us what we need to do. And I think in this case, it's stay in the middle of the field, grind up bats, get into the bullpen. It's, it's not that, it's not revolutionary baseball. It's just keeping the main things the main things. And we're, we're keeping the main things the main things right now offensively. Is anyone to you having some improvement that's maybe flying under the radar? I mean, obviously, Teo's had an incredible month. Yeah. Um, I would say, not one person individually, but our collective at bats as a group is improving. Uh, obviously, this is baseball is an individual game, but offensively, it can and needs to be a team game in terms of getting into the bullpen, getting to the lesser, getting to the opposition's less, lesser, lessing pitcher. Um, and to do that, you have to grind up bats as a team. You have to pass the baton. You have to get deep into counts and get the starting pitcher out of the game. And that's we focused on that, and it's paying off. And you know, we're getting into the the, the lower half of, of teams' bullpen. It's paying off. What's this team like when you guys do go on these East Coast trips? Are there you guys go out to dinner, you hang out a bit, or is it more just hang out at the hotel and get the job done and get out of there? Definitely depends on the city. <laughs> um, <laughs> in New York, you had the off day yesterday. A lot of staff, a lot of players explored the city. We tried to get golf in, but um, couldn't get on yesterday. But usually the players are getting together. They're, you know, they're having dinners together. Staff does the same thing. Um, our guys... And our, our, all of our guys, our staff and players alike, enjoy being around each other. Uh, it's one of the many positives of our group. And when we have off days, especially on the East Coast, we definitely take advantage of them. You said try to get around in. So do you travel with your clubs or you use the rentals? <laughs> oh, no, we travel. With, yeah, we take our clubs on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it's it. definitely a benefit of having the trider. I like the sure. idea of the players taking the trident for home runs and the coaches taking their clubs. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we all have. Yeah, absolutely. Love it.
Um, hey, uh, Bump and I were having a really interesting conversation with um, a former Seahawks wide receiver named uh, Brian Walters, and he talked about when he played how close they all were. Um, and he said, you know, I don't know if it's the winning that creates the relationships or the relationships that create the winning. I think sometimes relationships can create winning. Um, and I think sometimes when a team struggles, I wonder what those relationships look like. How would you describe the relationships on the Mariners team right now? First of all, that's really well said. I, I do think relationships create winning because <clears throat> when you do care for the, for the team, when you do care for your players and your team and your teammates, and you're all pointing in the right direction, the same direction, it's a lot easier to go to battle each day and, and do the right thing. You know, when you care for the guy behind you and the, and the guy in front of you, it, it, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And our players and our staff alike together, we care for each other a great deal. Um, and it absolutely helps. Um, there's, there's no question about it. You know, teams that care for each other and, and are in it together, there, there's absolutely a, a winning aspect that comes along with that. On the flip side, have you ever been in a situation where the team wasn't really close, but they still play some good ball? I think, I mean, yes. Everybody, these guys are still professionals, and, and guys have to come to the field every day to prepare and, and do their job. Um, fortunately, in within my tenure as a as a Mariner, we have not had that you know that that situation through in my time as a, as a college player and in the minor league. Yeah, absolutely. There's guys that do not like each other and it, it's hard. It, it makes it uncomfortable. It's not the best working environment. It's like any, any, any place of business when there is adverse feelings towards certain employees and you know, your performance is not it, it, that those emotions do not help performance. And so I still think professionals will get over it and do their job, but uh, it's hard for me to believe that those environments will overcome, you know, the adversity that a season brings uh, relative to clubs or teams that stick together and care for each other. There's just, it's hard to, hard to convince me of that. Yeah. Uh, last question here for me, Carson, outside of obviously get a, get a win. Uh, what's the goal in your, in your uh, road trip here in uh, New York and Baltimore? Yeah, it might sound a little cliche, but it, the, the goal is still the same show up and win each day. Yeah. And to do that, you got to play clean baseball. We've got to continue to turn the lineup over and get into the bullpen. We've got to throw strikes. Um, again, just keeping the main things the main thing. We have a really good team. We're really, really talented. And when we show up and play clean baseball and play for the guy next to us, we're a good team. And it's really hard to beat us. So for us to win two out of three um, tonight against New York and then two out of three against Baltimore and continue down the road, we got to do just that. Uh, show up, play clean baseball, and, and do the things that we know are important. All right, he is Mariners Major League Field Coordinator Carson Vitale, kind enough to join us to open up the dugout here. And Carson, again, happy uh, almost anniversary, one day early anniversary <laughs> of your debut. Very, very cool. Uh, and uh, thank you again to Alex for, for reminding us of that one. Very cool to welcome Carson on. Thank you so much, Carson. Thanks, Carson. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, all right. Well, um, I was going to do a bit of a Yankees series preview, but let's react to a little bit of what we heard from Carson. I loved talking about debuts and relationships. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to start? Um, let's go relationships. Okay. Yeah. I liked um, kind of bringing up the Brian Walter stuff. And I think what I've been most curious about with the Mariners team, most like in a way where I'm starting to like look at body language and try to dissect it from afar because I don't, you know, I'm not able to go into the uh, clubhouse uh, nearly as much as regular reporters do. I've wondered like, hey, when you 
don't meet expectations and when you struggle, especially in baseball, which is like an individual sport kind of combined with a team sport, like there's a little bit more of like a my individual goals feeling with it. Like, what are those relationships like this year? Is there a great leader in this clubhouse? Are they close? Are they having fun? Are they excited? Like, I've been wondering those questions um, all season, but especially of late. Carson, as a coach with this team, is obviously going to, you know, not say anything bad. But I do think that there's truth to what he's saying about, like, look, he's in this clubhouse. He's around these guys. Like, they have great relationships. The winning hasn't yet followed. But, you know the idea that they aren't close and don't care for each other or aren't, aren't still in this is false. So here, here are the reasons why I questioned the chemistry of the team. Yeah. Obviously we're not in the clubhouse, not in the dugout, but from the outside looking in, when I watched their interactions in the dugout last year, more smiles, obviously they're one more games last year or yeah. at some point where trajectory was, was in the right direction. Um, when I look at little things like the, the winning dances, not the same vibe, you know what I'm saying? And then you combine that with them not doing well at the at the plate, it's natural to think that maybe they're not having as much fun as they did last year. Um, obviously, you win 14 games in a row, then you start oh, you're playing having a blast. in the second half of the season. You are having a blast. So what would we think if they were getting their butts kicked and you see guys laughing and smiling yeah, and, and doing all that. Point. Now you're like, are you even taking this seriously? You yeah. know what I hate? Watch. I hate when I look on a sideline of a team, specifically football, because you get more, you see more of the sideline. Side and dudes are down 21 to three in the fourth quarter, four minutes left. And we're joking and laughing and doing, not saying the Hawks. I'm saying yeah. guys are joking, yeah. laughing, all that stuff. I go, do you not care do you not think you had a chance? Like, what's going through your mind at that point? I want to see guys locked in, focused, maybe even mad. I'm not saying you, you can't smile at all or anything like that. But if we were to see these dudes in the dugout having a jolly old time, yeah. and they're 35 and 35 and getting smacked 10 to 2, we'd be like, oh, they don't care enough. Yeah, they don't care point. enough. There's no winning. Yeah. You can't <laughs> win with these guys. They don't care that they're losing. And now it's you're not having enough fun. Exactly. So it's, it's so hard. That's why I love that we get the perspective from coaches during the dugout yeah. because you're you're right. They're not going to tell us everything. They're not going to tell us that Julio walked up on Gino the other day because this and that happened, right? He's going to paint the picture that we we hope is correct, um, but he is going to spit some truth in that. Mm-hmm. If they were not, if they didn't have a good relationship, he would still elude that they do have a good relationship, but it wouldn't sound as genuine as, as that felt. I agree. I think it was genuine. And I... Um I think also the reason that Carson also really liked that quote from Brian is that both parts of it are true. Does the winning create the relationships? Do the relationships create the winning? Relationships can create winning, but winning also helps foster that. You know what I mean? Like winning feels pretty dang good. I really do think that now again, playoff odds hovering at 5%. Mm -hmm. They need to get much better real soon. This is no joke. It's not. We're not at the too early in the season yet so far. And we are at a point in the season when you can say, hey, they're, they're probably not meeting their own expectations. Right. Oh, let me but, ask you a question off of that. Yes. Not meeting their own expectations. Perfect. Because 206 is texting in. <clears throat> Do you think the players aren't happy with the lack of moves Jerry made on second and at DH? Well, that's why I think you can't become sellers. Because I think that you need to. I think this is no. Once you have tasted the postseason. This group went to the postseason. 
you can no longer convey to them that World Series is not the goal right now. You cannot at, at any point. thirty-five. You can't. You can't. Shucks. You cannot. You can't punt on the season at thirty-five and thirty-five. As punt. disappointing as it is, I've been furious at times watching games. You can't do it, and you have to keep conveying to players: do not give up. I don't. I think this is this is tricky because you can't lie to these dudes. No, you can't say. We're we're pushing for the World but Series. But you can't sell Teo. No, no, no. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying that you change your goals in the short term and what's going to happen right now. Right. Like their goal right now should be like, we're pushing for the wild card spot because you're not going to win the division. And the players know. If a coach goes up there and he's just spitting BS to these dudes, they're looking at each other like, look at this dude, man. We're 35 and yeah. 35. Yeah. Here's what we can do, though. We can play better baseball. We can make a push for the wild card. We can start getting the bats going. Something at the beginning of the season is all we hear, World Series, World Series, World Series. That starts to fade a little bit. So Surfer's got to be 100. If he walks in front of these guys and tells them this is who we are when they're really not, they're going to – they're not going to believe in him. And now who knows what the play is going to look like. Yeah, but you have to at least convey wild card. Because if at any point, like if you try to, um, I don't think they'll be pure sellers, but let's say that you become a seller and you're like, I'm going to get rid of uh, what's left, like a contender that needs a bat. I'll give them Teo because he's on this final year of his deal and mm-hmm. he's going to hit free agency anyways. That conveys to your team if you're a hitter on that team. Okay, you definitely don't think this year is it. Uh-huh. I still have to play 82 games right. <laughs> or 81 yeah. games. Yeah. Like, now, I, there, now, there are some dudes, and I'm not going to say their names, but there are some dudes to where if they were to try to move and even just get slightly better because the dudes that you can move in this situation um, aren't guys that are going to get a big return. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So... I would imagine as management that you know you have to show your team that you are still competing. Making a move, getting rid of tail, doesn't do that. It says, all right, we're done. Making a move and moving some of these guys at the bottom definitely does that. So in a way, they almost have to be some type of seller. You're not big time selling. You're not, you know what I'm saying, refurbishing the Jays and putting them out on the market and see who's going to buy it. You're saying, I got these used... You know, I got these these used uh, shoes at the bottom that I that I'm gonna use, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to enhance. So, it's it's weird because management has to find ways to keep these players engaged and involved and believing. Mm-hmm. And this is gonna be the toughest part of the season. These next how many games until the break? What? Uh, I don't know, but your next four series, three of them are against AL East opponents. Yeah, it's um. They're dealing with things that us common folk who aren't making decisions for a franchise are are dealing with that um, that require really tough decisions. I don't know what you mean, common folk. Some of us <laughs> are being flown out uh, to a celebrity golf tournament in a private jet on Friday. Nineteen games Michael. left. All star break, Stacey. Nineteen <laughs> games. <laughs> Rick Riz joins us next. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. You are listening to The Dugout joining us now. Voice of the Mariners, Rick Riz on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Rick, how's it going? Hey, Stacy. Hey, Bump, how you doing? It's a beautiful day here in the Bronx, New York, and the Mariners getting ready to 
take on the New York Yankees. First game of the three-game series in the road trip. So a beautiful night out for baseball. Ready to go. It's a hugely important road trip as well with a big yeah. test against, uh, well, I, I mean, it, it won't be a road trip, but three AL East teams here over the course of the rest of the month. Um, we'll start with just the Yankees, though. Uh, they don't have Aaron Judge. How yeah. I feel silly saying how much does that impact the game, but uh, how do you look at the Mariners' odds without him out there? I tell you what, it's actually huge, Stacy, because uh, the Yankees are really struggling without him. They're nine and fourteen without uh, Judge in the lineup. The judgeless Yankees are batting just two oh three as a team. They were hitting two forty with them. They were thirty and nineteen with them. They've gone, like I said, nine and fourteen. They've lost four in a row, seven of their last ten. Every offensive category, they are down, down, down without the big man in the lineup. He just lengthens the lineup, and it means so much to him. So. Uh, the Yankees are having a rough time right now without Judge in the lineup. Uh, I saw him walking around. I talked with the trainer for the Yankees, Steve Donahue. We were in the minor leagues over 40 years ago together in Columbus, and he's still a few days away. So pretty good chance we won't see Judge uh, in this series. Riz, I don't even have a baseball question to start this thing off for me. Uh, I always think about <laughs> New York. I don't go to New York often. I've been maybe two or three times. But there are some things I always do when I go to New York. you got to go to Central Park, right? And then um, I go yeah. visit like a bodega just for like the culture. Is there something that you have to do every time you go to the East Coast? Uh, yeah, I just like walking around Midtown Manhattan right across the street. The hotel is St. Patrick's Cathedral. I love going in there, walking around. It's absolutely Amazing. Then I have to go to a great delicatessen. And I walked about a mile to get to one Sarge's delicatessen, one of the more famous delis. Got my hot pastrami sandwich. And that was absolutely delicious last night. And for lunch, I went to my favorite little Italian restaurant. So, uh, Bump, it's all about the food and restaurants when you go on the road. And uh, we've been to company in the city for a long, long time. And you find the, you find the great spots. I mean, you in San Diego, you talked about lionfish. You gave me a great recommendation. So, yeah, you, you can find everything here in Manhattan, that's for sure. I love it. Okay, I got that out the way now. Now I guess I'll talk some baseball with you, Riz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> if you want, sure. Riz, um, we've, we've heard what passing talk today, and I think the frustration with a lot of fans is that you look at this team on paper and you go, okay, this is a good ball club, but for some reason sure. they're not performing. If you just look at the Yankees and the Mariners mm-hmm. on paper – is there any advantage that the Mariners have over the Yankees? Well, right now, you know, it's it's, it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, and, you know, if you're missing a big bad lineup or injuries like the Yankees are doing right now, they're struggling. Uh, one of the hardest things in the world is to stay healthy. And the Mariners were able to do that last year, Bump, with their starters. Uh, every starter made every start during the course of the season last year, especially when Kirby came up in the early part of May, you got to little have a have a little bit of luck to stay healthy. But even the better players, you know, have their bumps in the road. But how do you sustain it? You keep the highs as long as you can. You keep the lows as short as you can. And if you can do that, you got a chance to win. So they got a shot to beat this ball club. I mean, when the Yankees came to town in uh, Seattle a few weeks back, they won two out of three. And in the opening two games, they scored 20 runs. It's all about pitching. That George Kirby starts the next day, and he goes eight scoreless innings. And the Mariners win that ball game one to nothing on a walk-off single by Cal Raleigh in the bottom of the tenth inning. And then you have a crazy game like the Mariners had on Sunday at home, beating the White Sox five to one. Lance Lynn strikes out sixteen. Uh, Lopez comes in, strikes out two. Twenty-seven outs. The Mariners struck out eighteen times in that game, and yet found a way to win by a score of five to one. 
some things are hard to explain, but uh, this is a club that has the ability to go on another run. Uh, it'd be great if they had another run like they had last year, you know, winning 22 out of 25, 14 in a row to the All-Star break. But um, I think that the ball club is going to get to the playoffs again. I really do because the pitching is so good. They catch the ball. The defense is good. And the guy is eventually going to start scoring runs on a consistent basis. New York kid on the mound. What's the goal and key for Kirby today? Yeah, Kirby from Ryan, New York. The key is uh, fastballs up in the strike zone, mixing the secondary pitches. He's going to throw his fastball, uh, Stacy, about 70, 72% of the time. But he's always on the edges. You make a mistake in the middle of this lineup, there's still John Carlos Stanton, yeah. Josh Donaldson is back with the ball club, Anthony Rizzo, you know, but he's really struggling right now. But you can't make mistakes. And he had a start a couple of outings ago where he had 90-something pitches and 30 were on the edges, and that's what this kid does. He went eight scoreless innings against the Yankees in the last start uh, against New York at home. The kid just knows how to pitch. He's not afraid of anybody, and I look for him to have a good outing tonight, Stace. I hope they do too, Riz. I mean, these next six games are going to be crucial because it's kind of like a measuring stick, right? How good are we? Oh, yeah. How good can we be? Um, just being around the team, how do they feel? What's the mentality of this team? Do they feel like they're still a good ball club? Because like I mentioned, we look at that roster and you know there's talent there. Oh, absolutely. They know they're good. And uh, I think Jared Kelnick said it best. He was on the Major League Baseball Network this morning. Inside that clubhouse, there's a lot of confidence and I, he said, I know it's cliche, but we're going to take it one game at a time. They've been up and down and all around the 500 mark. But I think they have a good run in them. There's no panic in this club. Uh, the, the guys just have to go out and do what they're capable of doing. You know, Julio Rodriguez and Ty France, J.P. Crawford has had a bunch of great at-bats all season long. He makes the starters work. And that's what they've done over the last couple of weeks. Even Otani, the starters have only gone about five innings except for Lynn, you know, on Sunday. But there's still a lot of confidence in that ball club, and I really believe they're going to get going. Hey, I'm glad you mentioned Kelnick because uh, Riz, obviously, um, he's had his own slumps, but he he hasn't been quite as hot uh, for the last month, and yet I feel different about any kind of slumps he gets into now. Um, Is that how you feel? And when you talk to him, do you notice just a different kind of confidence? Yeah, it's a different kind of confidence because – the last two years, Stacy, he was really trying to figure things out. When he went up to home plate, I don't know what his plan was, but this year he has a plan. You know, driving the ball as hard as he can off the top of the wall in center field, that's his approach. And in batting practice, I watch him every time he takes batting practice, he drives the ball the other way. And in Sunday's game with the bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning, I said, when he's on, he drives the ball to left center field and he came through with that line drive into the gap in left center field. Three runners scored, the Mariners had the breathing room they needed to save the bullpen. That was huge because Paul Seawall didn't have to show up in the ninth inning. Uh, Adcock finally was able to get the three outs at the top of the ninth inning. But he goes up to home plate now with a plan, and you stay away from those slumps. It has been a struggle for a little while, but I think he's going to get back in the groove because of his process. He believes in it, and I look for a good game out of Jared tonight. Riz, I'm going to go a couple days ago where um, I got the best of both worlds. I mentioned this to Stacy. The M's got the win, and I got to see a 36-year-old Lynn on the mound for the White Sox. Just just deal. It, it's hard not to appreciate performances like that. You know what I'm saying? And then your team gets the win, yeah. so it's all good. Can you think of any moments where you're like, okay, I clearly want the M's to win, but I'm witnessing just a fun performance that I, I appreciate from the opposition? Oh, sure. I mean, I'll go back to April 26th. 
1984 when Roger Clemens struck out 20 to mm. set a major league record. You know, I go, wow, we're watching something that's never happened before, you know, in major league baseball. And you, you appreciate great athletic ability. You, you hope it doesn't happen against your ball club, <laughs> but it's still what it is. It's, it's historic and you have to report it as such. But, uh, yeah, what Lance Lynn did on Sunday was remarkable because he had really been struggling, yeah. you know, really all season long. But there's a 36-year-old, you know, throwing his secondary pitches. He got away from his fastball, which he threw about 80% of the time, and now he's fixing, was fixing in his cutter, his curveball, and his changeup. And that's what I love to see from any guys that have been around for a long time. Jamie Moore, you got to make adjustments along the way. We're seeing guys do that as they reach 30, 32, 34, 35, to stay alive and compete with these young whippersnappers. You have to do something different because they know what, you know, you're going to be coming at them with. And uh, that's what Lance Lynn did. He's a sage veteran, and he had one heck of a game. But the Mariners figured out a way to win. And it wasn't just swinging the bat because they only had only five hits. They took their walks. J.P. Crawford had a two-out walk in the bottom of the third inning. And then, uh, you know, there was a big base hit. And after that, Julio Rodriguez lined a ball into the gap in right center field to score a couple of runs. And then with two outs, Ty France walked, Tasker Hernandez walked. And that's when Jared, with the bases loaded, came up with a triple in left center field. It's what you do with those pitches, you know when to swing, when not to swing. And it was the times they didn't swing that helped the Mariners win that game on Sunday. When they did, they had two clutch base hits when it counted. He's Rick Riz, kind enough to join us on the dugout on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Uh, Riz, obviously, uh, enjoy this series and enjoy getting some more food out there in New York before you come back home. Thanks, Riz. Oh, that, that's no problem. Trust me, I'm going to I'm gonna be at my favorite little Italian restaurant tomorrow, maybe another pastrami sandwich in the future. So, uh, well, come on by in Manhattan and watch two ball games. I know you got to work, though. Good, good. Thanks, Rick. See you, Riz. All right, Stacey. See you, bump. All right. Uh, we are not done. Speaking to some of your favorite Mariners voices, Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer joins us next. Um, I'm curious to ask Shannon more about some of Scott's messaging to these guys about uh, hitting over the middle a little bit more. We heard that from Carson Vitali. Mm-hmm. Let's ask Shannon. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Dugout every Tuesday at 1 with Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station, the home of the Mariners. Seattle Sports Mariners insider Shannon Dreher joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Shannon, how's it going? It's going. It's good to be here. Yeah, I was going to say, how's the Bronx? How's New York? How are you loving it? You know, it doesn't change a lot, which is really fun. I mean, the city is fantastic to be in. What's funny about this ballpark is it's almost a carbon copy of what was across the street. And when they rebuilt it, it was like, well, why didn't they just take a big power washer to this? (laughs) It would have been a lot cheaper. Shannon, I feel like you and Stacy are so small. If we were to walk around New York together, I'd have to hold both of your hands and make We'd sure. We'd have like those backpacks little no, kids no have. No one takes you guys, man. <laughs> it, it happens sometimes. I'm sure it's happened to Stacy too. Yeah. <laughs> Shannon, it's a, a big series, man. I think um, the Mariners gave us something to believe in. And Stacy and I were talking about this trip, and I go, man, it reminds me of like the first time my mom went out of town and trusted me with the house. She goes, look, man, I'm leaving. <laughs> Don't burn it down. Make sure it's all clean when I get back. Um, that's kind of how we view the this road trip. We're like, all right, you guys are on the road. You know, this is the first big road trip in a while. Just give us something to believe in. What's, what's the vibe of this team on this road trip? 
I think they know where they're at right now, and I think that's probably pretty, you know, important. I think this is kind of go time, but I think there's also a good amount of confidence in what they've been putting together since game one in San Diego, and it hasn't taken too much time for that to kind of click with the approach. I'm sure you've heard all about it. Stay up the middle. Don't try to do too much. Let's do this together as a team. And they're not concepts that are foreign in any way, shape, or form, but the messaging was a little bit different, and for some reason I think it took this time. And so instead of dealing with a bunch of mm-hmm. just individual struggle, struggles, they're kind of going through this together. And I think Mike Ford put it the best like two weeks ago. He said that when you are in a struggling offense and when you're struggling, the best way to get out of it as an offense is just to grind your way through the at-bats. And I think they're all kind of in that. And for those who were here last year, it's part of their DNA. It's what they do. So I think they feel a little bit better about where they're at, but I think they also realize there's one more step, and that's you got to push those runs across the plate. Great to get them on base. Great to get the starting pitchers out. Great to have the starting pitchers that you have in the bullpen that you have, but nothing's going to go unless you can get those runs. What's no Aaron Judge mean for this series? Well, probably not much because these guys did fine without Stanton and without Rizzo and without Bader. I mean, they were down when they came to Seattle. So, I mean, it might mean three less home runs over the next three days. You don't know. But you got to give this offense a little bit more credit. On on the Yankees' side, they were still able to put together runs, although they have been ice cold of late. If you take a look at what the Mariners have done since they made that change in their approach June 6th and what the Yankees have done in that time, Mariners have kind of climbed back. Their WRC Plus in that time is 112, which is eighth best in the American League. The Yankees are dead last in that time. Shannon, we um we hear service say, look, we have to change the messaging a little bit with the at bats. But Tay Oscar's been doing this thing all June. Did, did Tay Oscar say, look, I got the message early? You know, service <laughs> texted me on the side. What what have you seen out of his? We communicated approaches? privately. Right. <laughs> What's going on with Tay? What are you seeing? Well, even though they have the same approach, everybody attacks it differently. It's not, and it's not really the same. And it's something as simple as, you know, where are your sights? What are you looking to do? It's, it's not any kind of magic wand that's waved over them as a collective and they all pick up on it. And Teoscar is a veteran and he's been through these things before. And this was a massive struggle and he kind of went through his process to get out of it. And I think a big part of it And it's not an excuse, but he did not have a typical spring training and that he came to a new club and he left that club to go play in the WBC and got next to no at-bats in the time that he was out there. So when he did start the season, he did feel behind. He didn't feel that he had the number of plate appearances he normally has to start a season. His timing was off. And it's really taken a long time for that to come along. And sometimes when you struggle long enough, the struggle becomes part of the struggle. And I think so that happened. So he's leaned on things that he's leaned on before. And one of the things was a two-strike approach, which is a little bit of a concession when you're a big hitter. When you're somebody like a Teoscar Hernandez, who's middle of the lineup guy, you want to, even with two strikes, be able to go out there and put your best swing on it, your, your A swing, your home run swing. But instead, you're kind of taking a step back and doing what it takes so you can keep the bat in the zone and you can put the ball in play a little bit more. And I think that started to get things rolling for him a little bit. And we saw the progression. We saw a few less strikeouts. We saw a few more base on balls. All of a sudden, you start seeing hits, but you don't see the power. It's taken some time. But I think he's very close 
to what you expected that you were going to get from him. But I still think there's a little bit more because he thinks there is. Uh, last question here. Uh, just a quick one. Obviously, uh, we know Teo's been heating up. We all want to see Julio take off and know that he can have the greatest impact on the team. But is there another player who you think, God, if there ever was a time for him to get hot, this series and this road trip would be it? Hey, Eugenio Suarez. Yeah. I'm all. Yeah, there you go. Easy answer. Uh, the guy who can hit a lot of bombs. <laughs> well, yes, they just need to go a little bit further. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, oh, that God. very well Poor could Gino. happen on this trip. You know, this Poor park, Gino. the ball flies. Baltimore, he's got a good shot there, too. So hopefully, for his sake, you start seeing some of those fall over the fence. All right, she is Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer. Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Shannon. You got it, guys. All right. Thank you again to Carson Vitale, Rick Riz, and Shannon Dreyer for joining us on the dugout. All Mariners every single Tuesday, 1 to 2 p.m. And we are sending you guys to Wyman and Bob. As a programming heads up, uh, you are with Wyman and Bob. Mike Lefko filling in. Thumbs up, Mike. Yeah, awesome. Uh, for about an hour. And then you're going to go to Mariners pregame at 3 p.m. First pitch in this one. Uh, it's uh, Garrett Cole versus George Kirby at 4.05 p.m. right here on Seattle Sports. For Michael Bumpus, I'm Stacy Ross. Thanks, Brady, for helping out. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.